I feel like there is a viewpoint that's missing. The best way I can think of to say it is that energy is changing. And if we're energy aware, what we're saying is we need just a total cultural shift. It's actually already happening. So energy awareness in the 70s and 60s in California was probably one of the leaders, very early leaders in efficiency and awareness about energy. It was in the same basket as recycling or seatbelts. It's like a, a cultural decision. This is a social norm. We're going to be energy efficient. And you can look at California's consumption versus any other state, and they were amazing at managing their energy consumption just because of that cultural shift. And that's what I think can and is already spreading across the country. Energy awareness is a movement now because for the first time we can take action. Just a few years ago, you wouldn't want to buy solar panels or an electric car because they were too expensive. Today, you can. Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you. Hear their struggles. And then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com podcast to commit to a public, personal challenge of your own. You're not alone, and you don't have to wait for others. Do you think of acting on the environment as something that would distract you from success, that would distract you from your career? Sandy reveals, and he's not the first guest on this podcast, nor will he be the last, to reveal that it's a route to success. We live in a world craving leadership from those who act, not just people who look and don't act. And he's big. He's started several power companies in solar, in wind, in waves. One of those companies provides 10% of the U.S. wind energy. In this podcast, he shares his story from no background in this technology or in this area at all. No advantages, no family connections, no history to being a major leader in what's coming. He also shares what's next. So listen carefully to hear if you want to lead beyond just your personal behavior, listen to because he talks about what's coming next. Also, watch the video that I linked to of Generation 180 of his nonprofits because I believe it is the future of leadership in the environment. So let's listen to Sandy. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Josh. I'm here with Sandy Reisky. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Doing great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you here. And I've actually alluded to you before. I met you ultimately through a previous guest, uh, Jim Harshaw, whom you've met. Yeah. Who put me in touch with Tish, who works with you. Mm -hmm. And I met with you. And all right, now I want to introduce the listeners to some of the stuff. I'm looking at your bio and I see founder, chairman, CEO, uh, owns and operates utility scale facilities. And uh, let's see, you've done solar, you've done wind. You've done some tremendous big things on a scale that is huge. But right now, the way I met you is through a nonprofit. And so I want to talk a bit about what you've done in the past and some of the things that drove you to, to be so successful at, I guess I would say, like moving us over away from fossil fuels. But maybe you could describe, do you mind describing like how you got to do what you're doing and some of the things that you've done? 
Sure, sure. I'd, I'd be happy to. Um, I'm a guy that, that you know, grew up in Charlottesville, Virginia. I went to the University of Virginia's uh, Commerce School undergrad. And for a number of years, I, I worked in Europe with different companies. But what was a, a sort of changing point for me sort of drove my perspective on, on what I want to do in life, or at least gave me some ideas of directionally, was that I, I spent a couple of years in, in the uh, Czech Republic uh, and Eastern Europe. And the pollution there was just staggering. It was really uh, unbelievable. And I sort of said to myself at the time, if, if I can find a way to, to move my career into a place where I'm working on clean air, that's something I'm going to try and do. And then, you know, spool forward to 1999-2000, like a lot of people, uh, it happens to all of us, I had sort of a a life-changing event, uh, death in the family. And I stepped back from my, what I was doing at the time, Uh, I was a CFO of a software company, small software company, and uh, just said, you know, I'm going to think about what to do next. And uh, my sister, uh, Didi, gave me a book called Love what you do, do what you love. And uh, I read it and I, I found it uh, to be really transformational in how I was thinking about career. And you know, my takeaway from that book, which is basically the title, is that really applying yourself to something that you feel strongly about is one of the most rewarding things uh, you can do. So I started looking into working for nonprofits in the clean energy sector and also, uh, you know, what's going on with solar. And I, I came to understand that solar was still very expensive, but that wind energy had reached a point, even back then in 2000, where it had really crossed the line. It was competitive, competitive with fossil fuels, you know, a viable solution. And it was an industry that was just getting started. And I thought to myself, this is an area I can, I can explore. This is an area, this is what I want to work on. So I started going to wind energy conferences and people were very- So no background, no history in this. You, nothing. You did software before this and you just read a book, do what you love, love what you do. Yeah. And, and you said, this is what I love. This is what I love. So I'm going to start doing it. Yeah. I started to interrupt, but like I look at, at founder and all these, you founded multiple, multiple things. And, this, and I, I'm looking at the dates. It's all after 2000. Mm-hmm. So you really just came out of nowhere. And I, partly I'm saying this because everyone listening to this you didn't have any advantages over anyone else. Like you weren't like born into a family that had been in like a long history of this or something like that. No. And I had no money uh, to speak of. I mean, there were some savings, but it wasn't like I was born into a fortune of any type. I had, you know, basically what I had saved over that time. I didn't have a background in the industry. I didn't come with a lot of money to the table. I just was a guy who was determined to see if I could find a way into the industry. And the, the way I did it was I just went to wind energy conferences um, all around the country. The, the Department of Energy had these Wind Powering America conferences, and they would get state legislators, governors, if possible, you know, landowners, uh, entrepreneurs, wind energy companies, suppliers, all into a, you know, and have a little conference in state by state. And I was like a groupie and I'd go to each one and I got to know people and I asked everybody, you know, is this a good time to get in the industry? And, you know, is sort of looking for a job and people were nice and everything, but they're sort of like, look, if, if you don't know something about the technology or whatever, it's, it might be hard to get into the industry. But there's an interesting thing about energy, which is, and this goes all the way back to how they did it with coal and, and, and oil and gas, and that is 
there is a resource out here in our country, a very abundant resource. And to get it to market, to commercialize it, you, you need to secure it first, and that's your asset. And then you need to raise capital to spend, to invest in that asset, um, maybe one or $2 million per site. And you're, you're qualifying and de-risking the asset. You're saying, okay, this does have transmission line capability. This does have the permits. It's been permitted by the local uh, uh, community. Community Once this wind farm, you've gone through all the traps and, and you found a power buyer, uh, a utility that is ready to, to buy the power. And you've measured the wind for years and, and done all your bird studies and this type of thing. So there's a whole process to, and a relatively large spend to get one of these projects ready. And so I decided that's how I was going to get into the wind business. I was going to try and uh, develop a project. And I could tell you the story of the first project, but I'm, I, I want to be conscious of you know how far you want me to go into the, that aspect of getting started. Well, I'm kind of curious from, I'm thinking from the listener's perspective, I think a lot of people are going to be listening to this thinking, what can I do? And how much of what you, so I'm curious how much of what you're doing was to make money and how much of what you were doing was to make the world a better place and how much of it was like, what was motivating you? You know, maybe that was a hundred percent because it's what I wanted to do and believed in. And the, you know, motivation to make money was more like uh, the requirement. You 100% that has to be right. <laughs> you know, the business that you're getting into has to be viable and you have to prove that. So, you know, that's part of being able to do what you want to do is also doing something that works for society. At the time, wind power was subsidized. It still is with a tax credit, but that's expiring. You know, we're we're the only industry, energy industry, that has agreed with Congress that the, the tax credits are going to expire. Uh, they were 100% in 2016. They're 80% in 2017 and 60% this year of the value. Uh, and next year is 40. And after that, it's zero. So when people talk about you know subsidies for, for energy, uh, wind and solar have a path to get off of those. And it certainly would be good to see that for fossil fuels. I'm guessing that the fossil fuel industry is not going to start paying for the wars that we've paid to keep the oil pipelines going. Like that, that subsidy is not going to get paid for, is it? Right, right. But anyway, to your point, and and just to you know continue the narrative, I launched this company, Greenlight Energy, and six years later, uh, we had built 750 million dollars worth of uh, wind facilities, and and uh, had had a large portfolio of assets of resource assets that we had spent money on that were ready to bring to market and bp uh, alternative energy the oil company bought greenlight and another group that was similar to us and formed their own thing that they went and did terrifically with they they built an awful lot of wind power a lot faster than we could because they had much more resources but the point is that i had capital at that point you know i was able at that point to to really double down and go back into the industry and do a lot of things that have defined, you know, since 2006 through today. So the young hopeful guy who was the groupie in the back asking questions <laughs> yeah. was now, you were now yeah. having acted on what you learned, could, you were probably speaking at these things. Yeah. Oh yeah. And one other point or two points, just for people who wonder, how does it really come together with your first company when you don't have that much money and the answer is it's a team effort. You know, the secret sauce is as soon as you can afford to bring professionals into your organization, do it. We had a great team at Greenlight. You know, it was a combination of me 
and that team that that was able to build these facilities and even the big numbers I was throwing around, you know, that wasn't our money. All we did was show viable projects to the financial community that had power purchase agreements. And then you bring that financing together, debt and equity. Uh, and so we were selling projects that had that value. We didn't have that type of money ourselves. This is fascinating because, I mean, this whole thing's about leadership and how to make things happen. And you've made stuff happen. You started from from very little. I Thank you for coming on and sharing this. I, I, if I'd known, I would have done more to get you on earlier. <laughs> wow. Well, don't make me blush. Uh, it's been an amazing journey. Well, I mean, the big thing is I want people listening. That one of the big things is I want people to hear examples of people who acted on their values, acted on what they cared about, and were able to make it work. I, I'm sure that there's, if I asked, I'm sure if I dug, I could find stories of like, it was all going to fall apart or the oh team was at each other's throats for a while. It's not easy. It's not like some Disney story here, right? No. And and the hardships uh, were mostly around raising capital. In the beginning, I had a, a misplaced idea that people saw the world the way I did and we need to invest in this stuff and we'll figure it out. It's going to, you know, and so I was out raising capital and trying to tell the story, you know, hey, we've got this asset and it's the right thing to do. And investors are, you know, they're like, that's great, but show us the financials again. You know, they really want to see how the money is going to be spent and, and how it's going to be uh, turned into a successful project. And I get that, you know, I'm, I was in business as well, but nevertheless, it takes both type of, types of green. <laughs> and then to raising capital, one piece of advice I've, I've said to people is if you're raising capital, uh, if you ask for money, you'll get advice. If you Ask, yeah. If you ask for, ask advice, for advice, you yeah. might get money. <laughs> you know, you. Uh, so there's there's a a truism to that where uh, you know, and and we had a hard time raising money, and it was lean. You know, every single year we were running out of money, and would have to add add investors. But uh, one way or another, it, it came together. All right. So in a future conversation, we'll go into more detail. Or if 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 listeners contact me and say, get Sandy to say more about how he got that thing going. We'll follow up more on that. So you grew and grew and you did wind, you did waves, you did solar. And was it all like organic growth? Is it easy to switch from one to another? No, uh, this is back to the team's concept. When we sold Greenlight, we had capital. And and so we went, you know, I was not allowed to work in the wind business again for a couple of years because of a non-compete. And I knew I wanted to put the capital into the renewable sector. And I, you know, I could see that solar was getting traction nationally just beginning to get traction as a utility scale solution. So I kind of understood utility scale energy or utility scale clean energy. I didn't know how to spell solar. So I, I started going to some solar conferences and, and just meeting with folks, uh, entrepreneurs, and, and found a great team that was just launching their company. They were trying to do utility scale solar. They had a great background in solar. Tim Derrick and Kevin Christie uh, uh, formed uh, Axio Power, and they really led the effort uh, we acquired a couple other companies that had small portfolios, not big numbers here. These are just groups of people working on stuff. And we all got together and pooled <laughs> those projects uh, and then funded their development. And we we got uh, a lot of contracts uh, in Canada and one in, in Massachusetts. We got projects in Hawaii. And, and then it was acquired by Sun Edison in 2011, which was the right thing to do. You may notice there's a theme here, which is you can do a lot. <laughs> As uh, I mean, an awful lot uh, as an entrepreneur in the clean energy space, aggregating resources. 
But you get to a point where if you don't find very big capital to advance your portfolio, it can be difficult to actually, I mean, this is a capital intensive business. So Sun Edison saw the value in what we were doing. Uh, it was another terrific exit for our investors. And so we launched Apex with that capital. And we also, though, in the meantime, I'll just mention, because it's, it's really a fascinating story, this group Columbia Power Technologies is totally a different thing, right? It was totally out of my lane. It's clean energy, but it's just the you know bunch of engineers working on a solution to develop a wave power device, device that can extract power from ocean waves. Uh, the device would be a couple miles off the shore. You'd have a network of 100 of them, just like a wind farm, and uh, they would have a trunk line comes takes the power to shore. And that company's doing great. You know, we're the leader globally in direct drive wave power devices. It's not yet commercial, so it's a $0 billion industry, <laughs> but it has huge potential. And the important point here is I ask myself the question, sure, I can do more wind, solar and then eventually do more wind, which I did with Apex, but what can I do that nobody else is doing because it's so risky? Sorry to interrupt, but that sounds to me like a very, now you're very confident. You went from like an outsider to an <laughs> insider and now, now you're like, I got a strong platform. It's time to go for the brass ring, something like that. Am I right? Uh, I think overconfidence has been one of my problems for years. <laughs> uh, it gets you in a lot of trouble, but it's, it's how opportunity happens, I suppose. <laughs> okay. So I'm, I'm reading confidence, but it's actually, you're creating an opportunity. You're like, okay, maybe as a businessman, you're thinking. No, no, it's, it's impact. So, you know, when I got into the whole thing altogether, it was like, how can I move the needle? How can I change the world? What's important in life? You know, what, what do I want to try to do? And once I had sort of gotten real traction with wind and solar, I said, how can I use another clump of capital here to do something nobody else is doing that has the possibility to be to launch a whole new industry? And not that we would launch it, but we would work on getting our technology right. And if we if we were right, it, you know, there'd be competitors and eventually, but there's there have been hundreds of attempts to create a you know a wave powered device. None of them have gotten to commercial scale that uh, where they're really in serial production and their wave farms are going up around the world. That's just not happened yet. And I I was basically thinking if I could help that happen, that would be great. And it's not like I am this really altruistic person. There is the business aspect of it as well, which was you know I I saw that the University of Oregon had this. I've read an article that they had this uh, device they're working on, and, and together with some other folks, we we spoke with them and talked about how can we help you commercialize this. We licensed the technology, and we've been working with them ever since, and uh, it's been about 10 years now. So it's very exciting. The device, by the way, is about as big as uh, – it's about two stories tall. That's just the generator part of it. So it's like wind turbines. You know, it's a, You do it at scale so that the power you're producing can really serve you know, a big need. So I'm really, I have to say, I'm really amazed and humbled at, at the success that you've had. And uh, thanks for sharing it. And it also forces me to like, my game is to like influence other people. And, and you've been doing that. And you've, I like also that you said that you began with your passion, but then to lead others is working with their interests and put, you know, you were talking about the investors, you have to understand what they want and you have to understand what they're after. And that's how you influence people. Not just, you can't just... You can come in with your passion, but that your passion isn't their passion. Right. That's right. You have to be able to connect all the dots. 
and, and bring people along and essentially convince the team it's going to work and we're going to, we're going to find the money and this is going to work. Let's, let's make it happen. I met you through Generation 180, which is a nonprofit, which is a, now, is that a new direction? What, what led you to do Generation 180? How is Generation 180 different? It's a little bit similar to the wave power idea, which is how can I really uh, have an impact? What, where are the big levers in society to decarbonize? What's the biggest lever? And all my career, it's been on producing energy. Let's get our energy production to be clean. And sometime around 2012, 2013, I started thinking to myself, wow, look at how we consume energy, how much opportunity there is to save energy by being more efficient. But also, look at these new products. Look at the solar panels are getting cheaper and cheaper for individuals. And, and you know, here come electric cars. And so in 2012, I started, started thinking to myself and started doing some research into you know, how big is the carbon footprint of a normal household? How much would that be reduced if you use totally what I call local energy? Uh, and it turns out the average household in the U.S. uses about 65 tons. And direct energy, which is what I was just talking about, so your heating and your power and your car, is about, is about 22 tons of it. So, you know, close to uh, one-third, two-thirds, uh, closer to a third is you know, those things. And now we have these new products and really they're just getting to market and they're wildly popular. You know, it was starting to happen and I could see it happening. And I thought, you know, this is a way there's a simple idea here, which is now that it's, that we have the opportunity as consumers directly to buy better clean energy products, we should be doing that. It's like an energy ethic that's been enabled. We've been enabled by the, we have agency. So in the language has always been, we must do this for the environment. We must change that. We, we should do this. We should. And now it's the language is, you know, I can, I, you know, I will save money. We can shift to, uh, to clean energy. And it's uh, so the, the generation 180 was really about calling that out and making it clear that calling out that, that changes, we can change, we can reduce our consumption. It's easier than ever. It's enriching our lives to do so. Is it, am I getting it right? You're spot on. Yep. Man, I got to get this out there that there's two people I've met who I've heard expressing the notion that we can do this. We have to want to do it and it improves our lives and there's every reason to do it. The whole rest of the world is seems to view reducing consumption as deprivation and sacrifice and something that that they'll begrudgingly do or they want credit for doing when it's not that way at all. It's like, it's like something you get to do. And after you do it, you wish you had done it earlier. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, that's the big, you know, one of the big things I'm trying to do here is to, is to change beliefs from this is deprivation and sacrifice to, I wish I'd done it earlier. Yeah. And actually, yeah. So I got to share that when you and I met face to face for the first time, we both kept asking each other, is anyone else doing this? And we kept, no. <laughs> Why? It's, it's, it's unbelievable to me that you can look at like what we can do. And when you make these changes, it improves your life and no one's getting it out there. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people that are trying to advance solar and efficiency. So I wouldn't say that, but I'd say that I, I feel like there is a framing, a, a viewpoint that's missing. And, and this, the best way I can think of to say it is that energy is changing. And 
And, and if we're energy aware, what we're saying is, this is, we need just a total cultural shift. It's actually already happening. So energy awareness, you know, in the seventies and sixties, whatever in California was probably one of the leaders, very early leaders in efficiency and awareness about energy so that it kind of was in the same basket, let's say as, as recycling or, you know, seatbelts, it's like a, a cultural decision. This is a social norm. We're going to be energy efficient. And you can look at California's consumption versus any other state, and they were amazing at uh, managing their energy consumption just because of that cultural shift. And that's what I think can and is already uh, spreading across the country. It is energy awareness is a movement now because for the first time we can take action. Just a few years ago, you wouldn't want to buy solar panels or an electric car because they were too expensive. Today, you can. Yeah, I'm glad you didn't just say after awareness, you then said and act because yeah. I'm a little, I'm sensitive to like, there's a lot of people out there who are, oh, I'm aware. And they stop at awareness. Yeah. And I, yeah. Awareness is great, but the environment doesn't respond to your awareness. It responds to the results of your behavior. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And so the new energy narrative then is that we're making progress. You know, the old way of thinking about energy is just like, we're dependent. You know, the problem's just too big. The future is grim. Uh, there's all these myths about clean energy. Does it work or not? Uh, there's denial about climate change. And there's a lot of a lot of climate doom and gloom. And in that environment, you know, it's easy to be apathetic and or just feel like, hey, I, I don't know if I could make a difference. But what I think Generation 180 wants people to understand is that we're, we've got a whole new shift now. And, and the narrative is, Actually, we are making progress. These are these there are these great solutions out there. People are adopting them. It's working, and there's broad public support across society. You know, the trends in industry are favorable. In, in my industry, wind and solar at the utility scale, it's uh, unbelievable. We supply close to 10% of the U.S. power now, and it's growing exponentially, up and to the right. So the new narrative is essentially saying, "Hey, the transition is already happening." And in that lens, people realize, hey, my choices matter. I've, I've got new options. You know, I can be part of the solution. This is better for, you know, it's more affordable. And I'm a, I'm a believer. I'm hopeful, you know, more confident about the future. Let's do our part. So this is a, we're just telling a story of what's happening in this country and helping people see it. <laughs> we can be confident about the future because we, ha- we have our fingers on the control knobs. We, we don't need to ask politicians. We don't need to lobby. We don't need to ask our utilities for permission. We, we don't need, you know, we can act today and with these new products and then together with, well, I'll just, I'll leave it with that. That's the main. Something you didn't outright say, but something that I heard is not, there's a story, there's a narrative and you're giving people the experience so that they do it and they like what they do. It's not like a hardship and they realize, oh, I, I did this. I, I like it. I want to do more. Yeah. Because I think that experiential component is a major piece of, of getting people to action. And then once they act to keep acting, because I really love the changes that I've made in my life. Completely. And that's where you're right. So the transition from here's the narrative, then the question is, so what are you really doing, Generation 180? Are you just sort of telling the story? And the answer is no. <laughs> you know, we have a call to action. We want people to be energy aware in their own lives. And I can say what that is. 
we want people to take local action and then we want people to just spread the word. And the energy aware part is a lot about what you talk about. It's your personal life. You know, the energy aware person, first of all, the framework is they understand the transitions happening and they, they're empowered by new, the new choices. They understand them and they're determined to take action because they know what is involved, the stakes. Um, and that whole logo we've got, you know, is uh, it looks like a power button <laughs> if you sort of squint in your eyes. And the person inside represents the individual or society. And the thing wrapping around them is uh, energy awareness. And so it symbolizes, you know, the power button is our ability. We've got the power to secure a healthy future. Um, so the energy aware person, we have a whole on our website, you know, lots of things you can do to lower uh, your, your own carbon footprint. Oh, wait, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you here for a second because I want to frame what you're about to say yeah, okay. for the listeners. And tell me if this is an accurate way of looking at things. Because sure. hearing you now talking about what's going on in energy awareness sounds to me a lot like what you described a few minutes ago about wind when you started going to those conferences. And mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, but someone who someone might say, oh yeah, that was that at that time you could get into wind in the way he was, but we can't do that now. But I think that what you're doing, the energy awareness, people start showing up to Generation 180 events and people, I think the opportunity for someone in what you're doing is the opportunity that you had back then. So if someone's like, what can I do? I think, tell me if I'm wrong, but framing what you're about to say is people could be listening and thinking if they're, if they want to do something, but they're not sure what they could show up to events of yours and they could start connecting with you guys and being like, how can I help? And soon enough, they'll be the ones who are giving the talks. Yes, completely. Um, it's a walk the talk thing. Everything about our calls to action is, like we're at, we're interested in direct carbon reduction. So we're we love what the 350.org is doing for political action. It's very important. It's a big part of the story, and and we think that individual changes though uh, are a great way also to to move the needle in a huge way. So we sort of talked about the the three calls to action are be energy aware. The second is take local action. I'm very excited about that one because we've launched a study with the Solar Foundation about solar schools. And, you know, we want schools that are trying to go solar to have resources. To, you know, there's 5,000 schools already in this country that have gone solar and there's 125,000 schools in the country. And there's best practices and case studies and uh, cost analysis and all of that in, in this study that we did with the Solar Foundation. And it's the second one. The first one was done about four years ago. And you can see how much better it's gotten on the economic side. And so it's really documenting this is working. And so our volunteers, people who sign up with us, work on real projects like, hey, let's put solar panels on our school that make real decarbonization happen. But more importantly, uh, or just as importantly, the whole community or lots of it will hear about what's going on at that in their local school. Because, of course, parents and administrators and students and, you know, there'll be a lot of talk about what's involved and what does it cost and do we want to do this and why. And, and when they see that these things are actually going up, that's just a very clear, it's a flag. You're planting a flag in your community and it gives people permission to talk about it seriously for their own house. It's like, well, they, they did it over at the school. Why they're saving all that money? course we can do this too you know it's studies have shown that word of mouth is the best way for for solar to spread so we feel like we can you know 
be a part of and help plant and establish solar all over the place in a high visibility way. <laughs> so anyone listening to this who's thinking, I want to do something, but I don't know what. Yeah. If they contact you, at the mm-hmm. very least, they can contribute to a project. And at the very most, they could become a big leader in the field like you are in this, in energy awareness, in changing people's behavior, in wiring yeah. up their schools for solar, which will then start their community yeah, I also had the, the biggest indicator of someone getting solar is their neighbor having solar. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and to your point, this is a huge ship and, and the, the energy industry is massive. It connects to everything and to change everything about energy will require years and years and lots of people and lots of effort. You know, in just what you said, you know, people can be a volunteer. We have a whole program for volunteers in any part of the country. They can get in touch with us and and, and plug into that. And uh, they can take on a, a, you know, a project like solar schools. They can also help spread the word. Uh, so we have a program to teach people how to give our presentation and, and how to, you know, be a part of the communications because you know studies show that's the, the best way uh, to spread an idea. Is you know people trust their neighbors or their you know family, whatever the sources of energy that that are spoken are so much more effective than what you might do in the media. Man, this sounds like, let's put right here. I mean, it'll be on the page, but how do they contact you or who's the right person to contact? So you go to generation180.org and, and the 180s, you know, numbers. So generation180.org and, and you'll see lots of ways to get in touch with us and to sign up for our email. Uh, it's very, very straightforward. Um, and, and people can certainly get in touch. I suppose you're going to have, you know, I'm, I'm also on the website there. So, you know, if you could get in touch with me that way as well, that'd be great. Oh man. So this is, I, I really hope this leads to people contacting you. And I hope that anyone listening to this, who's like, I don't know what to do. Here you go. Does yeah, it matter if right. they're in a community where you guys are already, or can they start something? If, if like say they're in the middle of somewhere where generation 180 has no people, can they start something? Yes. You can start a chapter, you can join a chapter and we have a whole program just for individuals who are like, look, I, I can't take on solar schools. You know, I don't have the time for that, but, you know, we, we have something for individuals to act and then they can still be a part of the Generation 180 team. We have monthly webinars and a lot of sort of outreach to help support, you know, people doing this. We, we're basing what we're doing on what's called the Citizens Climate Lobby model. They have uh, thousands uh, of people nationwide. And the person who helped them set up that volunteer program is uh, Sam Daly Harris. And what he says is, you know, volunteers, you really want to give them, they're raising their hand because they want to work on something meaningful. You want to give them important and meaningful things to work on. Don't waste their time and, and, and believe that, you know, anyway, so he has a lot of uh, really uh, great insight about how these things get done successfully. And I'm just going to say for your audience that Citizens Climate Lobby, I believe, is one of the most important uh, groups for, uh, they're, they're taking on the challenge. They have one issue. They want a carbon uh, price, a, a fee on on carbon, and a and it would be a dividend back to people. So it's called fee and dividend, uh, or it's a carbon tax, uh, and they're very effective. Did I talk to you about the language for that? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think because you know the Republican guy who who was like instead of calling it an inheritance tax, called it a death tax, and suddenly support mm-hmm. for it like plummeted. Mm-hmm. And carbon tax as a carbon based life form, I like carbon. <laughs> pollution tax or externality tax, that to me is like, 
I don't like pollution. Let's tax pollution. Let's tax externalities that we all have to pay for. So I humbly submit, and maybe you could communicate to them, how about calling it an externality tax or pollution tax? I totally agree. And you have a lot of people who are saying similar things. The I'm, I'm sure I mentioned to you the book Drawdown by Paul Hawken. Yes. He edited it. Yeah, you 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 were giving me a copy, but then I I wouldn't accept it because the physical because I can get it from the library and I don't want to yeah okay. I didn't want to have to deal with the pollution of, of like now having the book so not pollution of having a book but once I ha- yeah I don't like to have stuff so yes and I got it from the library and went read through it so he's so accurate in his speech and very uh, makes a similar point to you that the language is so important you know if you're headed towards a cliff in a car and and you just slow down. That's not going to help you. You'll eventually get there and go over the cliff. So slowing carbon emissions is not the idea. You know, lowering the emissions isn't the idea. His point is we need to be at a point, he calls it drawdown. It's the point at which carbon stop, carbon emissions in the atmosphere stop going up uh, and they start going down. And that's the 180 in Generation 180, right? That's switching direction. That's right. That's right. So part of me really wants to talk about the video. I'm, I'm definitely going to have your video on my site somehow. And oh, great. I don't think we have time to talk about it because I want to get to your challenge, but I'm going to mention your video. Everyone who's listening, go to the video on the page or go to Generation 180's page and you'll find the video. What's the title of the video? Uh, it's the new face of energy. It's just like a, a one minute ad. And it's, it's not doom and gloom. It's not, here's what's wrong with the world. It's about patriotism. It's about community. It's about self-empowerment. It's about making your communities cleaner and contributing to communities. And it's a voice that I have not, outside of that of that ad, which deserves to be in the Super Bowl, and it's not an ad, I guess, a public service announcement, but it's, I've not seen it. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, this is it. This is the message that I don't see anywhere and I think is effective. And there's so much doom and gloom and so much of like, yes, it's factually correct that these, that we do run these risks, but that's not what motivates people. And this does. And partly I'm thinking, should we talk about it? And partly I'm thinking, let's keep it as a teaser for your second conversation. So great. people can, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And you said, great. So it's, will it'll, people watch it, think about it. Maybe, maybe I've oversold it and you'll think, oh, Josh said it was so great. It's okay. But ho- I mean, hopefully you'll see that this is a new direction. And so let's, in the next conversation, when we speak about how your challenge went, assuming you take on a challenge, that we'll say how that came to be, what the vision was there, and what's coming next and things like that. Sound good? It sounds great. Feeling inspired? Do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodek.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable. Join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more, and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. Okay, so you know that I we talked about this before that I invite people to... Oh, wait, before we... Sorry. Yeah. Can I make one sort of conclusion statement uh, about Generation 180? Yes. It's just an idea. <laughs> if the idea spreads things will be, it will change. And to give you, to really crystallize it when we were talking about spreading the word, what we end up with is a, it's just a totally new conversation that happens and it's very natural. It's, it's you know, you're going to hear people saying, you know, I never go to the gas station anymore. I generate my own power. I work in the solar industry or 
I'm securing our nation's future. Or, you know, my kids love our solar panels. Uh, you know, that convert, that type of people just talking about energy uh, in a natural way because it's become part of their lives. That's where we're headed. And, and, the, and so the cultural shift we're trying to propagate with Generation 180 isn't, we're not trying to grow something like selling toothbrushes or something sort of linear growth or exponential growth. If you can picture an exponential curve, we're not trying to hit exponential or even viral growth. What we want is like crystallization throughout society, the way a social norm becomes rooted and, and durable and changes outcomes. That's what energy awareness, the energy awareness movement is doing. And, and we're, we're really just trying to advance that. It's, it's like an idea, like the snap of, you know, it's, it can happen that quick. And, and I'll just my last statement about it. You know, Victor Hugo has a quote that says, you know, you can resist an invading army, but you cannot resist an idea whose time has come. And that's where I think we are. The time for this is totally right. And, and this is the right idea at the right time. And it's spreading. So people can be uh, a part of it. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. And it's, it's the, so many people out there have this view of if I do something, but the others don't, what difference does it make? And what you're saying is the antithesis of that. It's, that's the, ultimately that's the opposite of leadership. It's saying, I'm going to act against my values following everybody else, as opposed to acting by my values and leading everybody else and creating meaning and purpose. And you're giving people a way to do that. Right. You're crystallizing it. Right. Yeah. Well said. Man. Thank oh. you. <laughs> All right. Now we're going to talk about if you're up for it. Okay. Actually, let me ask you this question. What about the environment? I hear passion there. If so, what's the passion? What is it? Is it what motivates you about the environment? Oh boy. I think I'm like a lot of people. I, you know, I just think about the future and I can see that there's a, a number of ways things can go. And and I can see that we all have an opportunity to make it go the right way. And it's a race, it's urgent, you know, let's let's do it. It's all about giving us the best shot possible at not tripping up some type of feedback loop on the carbon cycle that's that's going to get out of control and really make it difficult to be uh, a life form on this planet. Uh, so, and that's the downside of it. I think you point out a couple times, and I totally agree, is that I want people to understand that we totally have a, a fair and good shot at getting this done. <laughs> We've got everything we need to get this done. It's totally possible. And, and we have to get out of the mindset that this isn't going to work. And, you know, that's just depressing. I, I don't think I'm confusing myself about that. Uh, I think that there is a very good shot for us as a society to, to change our direction. So it's, I, I'm hearing that it's, Everyone has a unique perspective. I love hearing different people's views because some people are looking forward. You're looking forward at a future that we can have. And I feel like you're motivated by um, an ability to make that to you can play a role in making that happen. Yeah, I feel like uh, if only everybody knew this, there's a, there's a certain set of facts around what's happening in clean energy that are, that's very positive and very few people are aware of what's happening. And so it's this is a part of, of getting us into the solution. So that's really motivating. I feel like uh, we've got something valuable to share. 
And you're also speaking from experience yourself. Like you, yeah. you're not just some pie in the sky dreamer. Let me see. $4 billion of wind and solar facilities now operating across the country. And I'm just looking at your bio and uh, over a gigawatt of installations. Like you're not just saying like, you're not just some dreamer. Yeah. You know, I'll brag for a second and I'm bragging for Apex. Uh, this company, Apex Clean Energy, by, in 2015, we installed more wind power than anybody else nationwide. It was over one gigawatt in one year. And that's enough to power a city the size of San Francisco. Um, and that's just five wind farms. <laughs> yeah. Some people listening to this right now are probably listening through power that was generated by you or, I mean, your team. Maybe, you know, it's, uh, you can't claim any specific electron in the, that's going through the wires, but, um, you know, as an industry, we're providing 10% of the energy now in the United States, almost 10%. We're approaching it quickly. Here's, I'd, let me just share one thing. Along those lines, like milestones, people don't probably realize that solar was the number one source of energy uh, in uh, 2016. The new source, sorry, new source coming online. uh, The biggest growth. Yeah, the the biggest addition of new capacity was solar and wind was right behind it. Uh, And then the past 10 years, we've crushed it. If you just look at net capacity additions of fossil fuels versus clean energy, Fossils added plenty of new fossil plants have come online, unfortunately, but they've retired many, many more. And so uh, almost 90 percent of the of the change in energy capacity that's happened has been supplied by clean energy, wind and solar over the past decade. Ninety percent. That is a fact. <laughs> and so that gives you an idea of how fast things are shifting. It's, it's, it's the net additions and subtractions and fossil side and all the additions in clean energy side. So we're, we're really moving beyond coal. It's going mainstream. You know, we're achieve, achieving these milestones. Another one for you, you know, globally, there's more wind power installed now than there is nuclear power as far as capacity. All right, so all the solar, all this wind, that means I should go on and turn on my air conditioner whenever I want and just no. use energy. <laughs> okay, so what should people conclude about their energy use? Because actually, after you've done all that, your next step was to reduce consumption. So as important as that was, why is it so important that we still reduce consumption? Well, uh, it's two sides of the same coin. uh, And I'd like everybody just to picture a graph and and picture energy demand going up and to the right. That's just a line going up and to the right. That's what happens is we we consume more and more energy over the years. And and as we do so, if you want to produce everything from 100% clean energy, you can just picture clean energy trying to catch it. And it's going up and it has to accelerate really fast. So we have to add a lot of clean energy and catch that energy demand that's going up. Well, what if, and this is, this is our objective, this is what we tell people we're trying to do with our actions. What if we could make the energy demand grow? I mean, it's going to anyway, but just not as fast you would be lowering that curve. So you'd be bending it down. And what if you could bend the clean energy acceleration and ramp up, if you can make that go faster, you would catch the energy demand faster. And so we think conceptually, of course, you know, if it's going to take us 50 years to do it, maybe we could do it in 25 years if, if we bend both the curves. I don't have any data on, on that to say that it's definitively we can make 50 years, 25. Uh, but um, it is, it is what society should be aiming for, changing both consumption and, and production of energy. Okay. I'm glad that, yeah, that uh, if we, a lot of people think someday we'll have all the solar, so it doesn't matter what I do. And that's, 
it's, we got, there's a certain amount of time and the earlier we can do it, reach where we're not using fossil fuels, we're not contributing to greenhouse effect. Yes. And the safer we are. I mean, we, the sea levels are rising. That's right. And here's an interesting thought, uh, because you're, you're right. There is one thing I'll just say is the day you put solar panels on your roof, most people at that point start looking around their house and saying, maybe I should change my light bulbs. You know, maybe I can do other things to be efficient because I've got that solar on my roof and, and those, you know, I'm using clean energy. Uh, Some people might say, Hey, it's solar. It's free. I'll use as much as I want. I'll get more light bulbs. But there's this other really neat aspect to it. That is, you're like your own utility. It's local energy. Everything then becomes, you're much more aware of energy. And and you have that motivator to save naturally because you'll save money. So when you are not using all your solar, you're exporting it to the grid, you're going to be paid for it. Uh, Or it's just going to lower your bill. And you can get to a place where your bill is essentially zero for usage and you might have some connection charge. But, you know, a lot of people pay attention to their production and consumption, and they like to see the net result when every month their bill is zero on con- on the consumption side. And I, th- I think that's a huge motivator. Yeah, I found that certainly people take on the challenges on this podcast is that doing it leads them to want to do more. It's the opposite yeah. of what they expect before they do it. So yeah. th- I guess you, people might think, oh, energy be free. I'll just use it all. But then- it's energy, they get more in touch with it and then we're connected with it and they realize what's going on and then they, they use it more thoughtfully. Thoughtfully. And here's another twist is, hey, why don't I get an electric car? Because electricity is like three times cheaper, two to three times cheaper than gasoline. And I'll power it with my solar panels. So I'm driving on sunshine, <laughs> right? Like, like then you're driving yeah. on sunshine. Yeah, it's, it's a, an amazing concept. Uh, and so that's where, again, local energy is uh, all about. It's like I get my tomatoes from the garden. I get my water from the well. I get my energy from my roof. So now you are looking to a future that you can help create. You Reducing consumption is important. I invite you now at your option to take on a personal challenge, which I'm not sure if you've thought of one already. But I, I want to go through the things that I give, uh, like the constraints and the, and the relaxing constraints. because. It doesn't have to solve all the world's problems overnight. I don't think I have to tell you that, but some people think, well, if, I, if it doesn't do anything, it doesn't do everything, why do anything? And it can't be something that you're telling other people to do. And it has to be something you come up with your, yourself. And it has to make some appreciable difference, some measurable difference in what you care about. So it can't just be like awareness or knowledge. It has to make a measurable change. I some people it. by this stage have something. Some people don't. We have to talk it through. But are, are you interested in doing something? I, I definitely am. And I'm familiar with uh, your approach here. And I love it. Uh, I've, got, I've got my thing. Cool. So you've thought about it ahead of time. I have. Please share. <laughs> okay. Um, I love uh, hamburgers and, and beef. And, and I know that it's one of the things that is, it's one of the big, big contributors to climate change, not because of the methane that cows, you know, produce uh, and and put into the atmosphere. It's really because of the land use to produce all the grains to feed them and and then the grazing areas that is um, anyway. So the carbon, uh, it's one of the highest carbon things you can do in your diet uh, is to eat meat and especially uh, beef. And so 
I am going to pledge to reduce uh, my beef to zero uh, for the coming month. All right. So actually, oh, today's February 1st. Perfect. <laughs> Did you time that? Did you? No, no. Uh-uh. <laughs> so I, I want to make sure you said beef or meat? A beef. Okay. Because I like to make these smart goals. I, it's, uh, I, I've learned that in, in this podcast, it's leadership followed by management. You got to like get people wanting to do something, but then you also have to really like make it a smart goal. So no beef for one month. And then something that I try to, I share with people the biggest challenges that I see people face. One of them is other people and the other one is travel. I just want to prepare you. Things will come up that you can't think of, but have you thought about what might happen if you're uh, visiting some friends and they serve you a steak or they're, you know, there's nothing to eat but a hamburger of what you might do? I hope I can resist it. <laughs> if I'm really hungry and I'm at somebody's house, I know it'll be a challenge. Uh, but I, I'll do my best. Okay, I put that out there. I, I can tell you that a couple of the strategies, the, the big ones are one is my strategy for most of these things, which is I'm just going to figure out how to do it. And I'm going to like, I'll go hungry for a meal and I'll just eat a bigger meal when I get home. But another uh-huh. big thing is a lot of people say, you know, if something happens, then maybe... I'll, I'll, at that time I'll do that, but it'll, I'll, I'll put an extra one at the end, an extra day. Maybe I'll, I'll go to a 31st day or, you know, they, they but they don't say, what they don't say is any failure means it's all over. Uh-huh. And the other big challenge is when people travel is that they find themselves in situations like they can't control their environment like they do at home. And so same type of thing. It's like, are you going to like me? I don't eat meat. So it's, I figure it out, but some people it's like, all right, I'll, I'll pause it and restart later or something like that. Okay. And I, I put that there not to tell you what the answers are, or even to, to pretend to suggest that if you prepare for enough, then you'll prepare for everything, but just that these things come up. Yeah, no, that's great advice. It'll be challenging. And I look forward to hearing about it. Are, I have my calendar out. Are you up for scheduling when our next conversation would be? About a month from now, I, I propose. Sure, sure, sure. No, that'd be fun. So March 1st, March 2nd, March 3rd, March 4th, any of them look best for you? They're pretty open for me. Thursday or Fridays are best. Okay. So let's see. We're Thursday at 1030 now. So why don't we do Thursday at 1030? So that would be, that'll be exactly one month, like to the hour. <laughs> nice. I'll have a hamburger <laughs> next to me, maybe. Or maybe not. That's, that's what <laughs> <Maybe> gets, <not. laughs> that's the thing. Yeah. You, if you knew, you wouldn't be doing it. All right. So after we right. hang up, uh, if it's cool with you, I'll just email you a calendar invitation. Uh-huh. All right, great. This, great. I'm, and we'll also start talking about the, the video and get into more depth about that. Uh, although we might just talk about the, the experience. So anything that I didn't think to bring up that's worth bringing up or any message that you want to give to people who are listening before we wrap up? Yeah, there's one myth that is uh, about clean energy that I find especially troubling is that people say, well, that just means we're going to cover the whole country you know, for, with, with solar panels, right? That's never going to work. Or we have to have wind turbines everywhere. And, you know, golf courses in this country take up as much uh, land as we're going to need for for wind turbines if the turbines were all right next to each other, if you just put them next to each other. Of course, you don't do that. You, you spread them out so that they don't draft each other. But it's it's a, the area you spread out to is about the size of maybe a little smaller than Kansas. So that would power the whole country. <laughs> and so that's that seems achievable. And that's if wind was powering everything. And the story for solar is very similar. You know, 
all the panels you would need actually as a state, you know, would cover the state the size of uh, uh, maybe South Carolina, less than that. But guess what? Rooftops can absorb about half of that, (laughs) you know, the existing rooftop. So we have plenty of room to do this. And and don't be discouraged if you hear people uh, bringing up myths like that, uh, because there's a lot of false information out there. And that's part of what we're battling. I love this hopeful, optimistic, grounded in experience perspective. I hope it, it it's infectious. And I hope it really, it, I hope it infects others as much as it does me, if that's the right word. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what makes it easy. It's when uh, it's a, it's a pleasant story to tell, you know, that we can do this. Thank you very much. And I look forward to talking to you in a month and good luck with the, good luck with the challenge. Great, Josh. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. When most of the world wants less pollution, less global warming, a safer environment, the environment is huge potential for business, for leadership, for getting ahead. Sandy lived it. He's a great example. He wasn't the first and he won't be the last. I've had leaders from Google, from Apple, from oil companies who have found and created opportunities for them to get hired, to get promoted, to move ahead for responsibility. This is opportunity for them. This is opportunity for you if that's what you want to do. It's huge opportunity for success. Still, I want to point out, he sees conservation as the next step, at least for him. And that's also about building community. That's about leading people. That's about delivering people what they crave. Again, please watch the video. I recommend it highly as this is the direction I think leadership will take of not telling people what to do, not making them feel guilty, but pointing ways to personal success, better relationships, better communities, and so forth. feel inspired to, then act. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others. Value means better and worse, and living by your values means living better by your values. You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses to the empowering I can make a difference and living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.